Kyananjanachalakaya Chakshurun Vilitam Jena Tasmai Sri Gudave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam Pandeham Sri Guru Sri Jutapadakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajataham Sahakana Raghunathan Pitham Tham Sajivam Sadvaitam Sapadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padahan Sahakana Lalita Sri Vishakan Bithamscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Sri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nityanamine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Asjatyadeshadharine He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Kopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Radhe Vrindabhaneshwari Vrishabhanu Sukhe Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Panchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripasindubhya Evacha Patithanam Bhavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasati Gaurabhakta Brinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare
grateful to all of you for giving your very precious, youthful time to be with us this evening. Srila Prabhupada often quoted Prahlad Maharaj who was a five-year-old child and he was discussing Bhagavata Dharma, the ultimate purpose of life to his classmates who were all his age around five years old and some of them asked we are very young this Bhagavad Dharma this Bhakti this highest philosophy of life it is meant for people when they get older we're children we should be playing and studying Srila Prabhupada replied Komara Acharit Pragya now is the time before our habits and our mental um, impressions become so difficultly conditioned by so many anartas or unwanted ideas and activities and desires we should actually reconnect with our own true nature And then he gave a very elaborate explanation. Because Prahlad Maharaj himself, a Mahabhagavat, he had realization. He first started hearing from his guru when he was in the womb of his mother. And by the time he was born, he was self-realized. So his friends already five years had passed, wasting so much time. So many of you are in college and you think that you're very young, but from Prahlad's calculation, you're very late comers. (laughs) But very late, better late than never. Srila Prabhupada he began our movement when he was 70 years old I think most of you know this story I would just like to review some thoughts of appreciation Srila Prabhupada was a follower of Mahatma Gandhi a very devout follower as well at the time when India was still under the British rule and he made serious sacrifices socially that could affect his whole career and his life because he believed so strongly on a historical day in 1922 in Calcutta he was brought by his friend to meet a great sadhu 
of the name Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada told his friend, I'm not interested in seeing sadhus. I've seen so many sadhus. My whole childhood, my father would always invite sadhus every night for dinner. And a lot of sadhus have various characteristics that Prabhupada, <laughs> Prabhupada didn't take it so seriously. But his friend insisted. He literally forced Prabhupada to go. They went on a rooftop and Srila Prabhupada, he was, whose name was at that time Abhaya Charan, he bowed down and before he even got up, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur very compassionately but forcefully he said, you are a young man you are educated you should take the message of Lord Chaitanya in the English language to the whole world that was his introduction Usually when you first meet somebody, somebody says, I'm honored to meet you, or I'm pleased to meet you, or welcome. <laughs> but he gave him a life, a life's mission. Srila Prabhupada, he didn't know who this person was. And obviously he was wearing khadi, so the person could see he was a follower of Gandhi. He had a very high purpose in his life. He said, as long as India is subordinate, subjugated by another power, who in the world is going to take anything we say seriously? First, we should get independence. Then we could talk about all of these other contributions. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, with great conviction, and concern, deep concern, compassion. He said, politics are always changing. But there's one eternal truth, that we are the eternal soul, and the soul is the eternal servant of Krishna. And the reason for all these problems is because we have forgotten that truth. There can be no peace that has any sustainability as long as we don't understand what the center point is in the f- that is actually the origin and the center of all of our relationships. We may have many nations, races, religions, species of life, that's all right. But what is it we all have in common? Janmadhyashayadaha. We're all coming from the same source. Aham saravasya prabhavo mata saravam prabhartiti. Iti matva bhajanti maam buddha bhava samam. Krishna tells in Gita, I'm the source of all material and all spiritual worlds, everything. 
everyone emanates from me. When we recognize our own relationship with Krishna, then we can understand our relationship with everyone, with Krishna in the center. Everyone is looking for love. It's God's love, Krishna's love, that is the nature of the soul to find ananda or the greatest ecstasy experiencing and reciprocating with that love and seeing that object of our love of Krishna part and parcel in everyone, whoever they may be. And seeing that the whole creation is Krishna's property. Nothing is mine. We are caretakers of our bodies, of our families, of our societies, of our nations, of our planets. And a caretaker takes care in harmony with the will of the proprietor. In this way, when we understand these simple principles of being conscious of our relationship with Krishna, then we find true peace within ourselves and we could be instruments of true peace in the world. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati told him that this is always the greatest need, it's the only true solution. Now is the time. Srila Prabhupada was a young man. He was just married, just had a child. It's very difficult for him to immediately do what, his, what this sadhu was telling him to do. But at that moment, Abhay Charan understood what he is saying is true. This is the message of the Bhagavad Gita, the Srimad Bhagavatam. This is the message which is the essence of every great religion, every great scripture of the world. This is the message all the great Acharyas have preserved and handed down through the ages. And this person, he's speaking it, he's living it. And Srila Prabhupada at that moment accepted this is my Guru Maharaj and accepted that instruction as his life and soul and the whole rest of his life was to prepare for it but Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita that one must perform one's duty as a seva for Krishna with responsibility after all, Arjuna had a family and he had an occupation as a warrior. So Srila Prabhupada continued his profession and raised his family. But he oriented everything in such a way with this simple principle. Bhaktaram jagatapasam sarva loka maheshwaram suhiradam sarva bhutaram gyatvamam shanti mirchati That Krishna is the proprietor of everything my body, my mind my intelligence, my abilities my family, my home 
my wealth, every living being's bodies and homes, the environment, the sun and the moon and the earth and the lakes and the oceans, everything is Krishna's. So he raised his family in perfect Krishna consciousness. In 1944, he started Back to Godhead magazine. Actually, in around 1933, he was initiated in Prayag, Allahabad, by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He was given the Gayatri and Harinam initiations together at the very place where Lord Chaitanya instructed Rupa Goswami. The place of the Kumbha Mela. And a few years later, before Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur departed from the world, he sent a letter to Srila Prabhupada and gave him the same instruction. to share this message of Lord Chaitanya in the English language all over the world. So for 43 years he prepared himself. In the 1950s, Srila Prabhupada retired from his occupational life and went to Vrindavan to reside. But most people, almost everybody that goes to Vrindavan when they're at that age, they go to spend the rest of their years until death. But Srila Prabhupada went there to prepare himself. He was writing, first at Bamsi Gopal Temple, later at Radha Damodar Temple. He took sannyas there in Vrindavan. I think it was 1959 was given the name A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj. He would go to Delhi to distribute his Back to Godhead magazines. He began writing the Srimad Bhagavatam, translations and commentaries. He had no money, he had no help. He had to get the paper, he had to type every word Himself, He had to do the editing. He had to do the proofreading. He had to raise the funds. And in those days, just getting paper took weeks and months of permissions. But he never gave up. Two volumes of the three for the first canto were done, but he couldn't find anyone to help sponsor the third. And the publishers were no longer willing to give him concessions or consignments. So he came to Mumbai and convinced Sumati Murarji, a very great devotee of Srinathji from the Pushti Marg of Sripad Balabhacharya. And he told her the importance of this work and she sponsored the third volume. One day when he was in Agra, he was at a person's house and the person was confiding in Srila Prabhupada. 
how disturbed he was that his son, Gopal, he went to America to study engineering. Now this is 1965. This is very, very few Indians were in America at that time. And he said, and my, my son got trapped in America and got married to an American woman. <laughs> and now he refuses to come back in India. And he was asking Prabhupada for some blessing that his son would come back. And Prabhupada heard this. And Prabhupada was always open for opportunities. <laughs> He said, oh, your son lives in America. Can he sponsor a visa for me? <laughs> there was complete silence. <laughs> and Srila Prabhupada could see that Mr. Agarwal was not very happy. So he didn't say anything. But then about three or four months later, Srila Prabhupada got a letter from the United States Embassy that he was being sponsored for one month to come to America. So he got a one-month visa. Well, he actually didn't even get a visa. He just got a one-month sponsorship. He was supposed to get his visa when he arrived. So then he came back to Bombay from Brindavan and asked Sumati Murarji, you, you own cargo ships give me passage on one of your cargo ships and she was very totally against she said no no one will listen to you there you are old it is cold you will die <laughs> but Prabhupada insisted and, and days and days and days went by and she was giving so many arguments why he he cannot go. He must not go. He will not go. And Prabhupada just said, let me go. Please give me. It wasn't a matter of a ticket because there was no tickets for cargo ships. It's, you know, the only thing that goes on cargo ships is crates and boxes. They don't need tickets. So you just put them on. And the only passenger, there's no passengers, just sailors. But it was against her conscience. It was against her very heart. Because she felt, she loved, she loved Swamiji, what they called him in those days. She said, you stay here. I'll give you a room in Mumbai. You preach here in Mumbai. There's so many people in India. Just stay here. People will listen to you here. They will not listen to you there. But his guru told him to do this. He didn't know anyone. He didn't have any resources. But he insisted. For Sumati Marari, he was practically, it was like suicidal, but he was insisting. Because he had such deep realization and faith in the higher power of his Guru and Krishna's grace. And finally, she said, all right, there's a boat called the Jaladuta. 
It's leaving Calcutta, the King, Dock, King George dockyards on August 13th. Srila Prabhupada had to get a P form, which was very, very difficult in those days. And he was refused, but he convinced. He convinced the person in charge of the whole department, government department, to give it to him. And he took a train from Mumbai to Calcutta, visited Mayapur, where he went to the Samadhi, the tomb of his guru, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, to give his heart and pray for blessings and empowerment. He took the blessings of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda in Shantipur at Adoita Bhavan. The Pujari saw this person for many years. At first he was a household person with white clothes. He would stand in the back of the temple from time to time and just pray. Never said a word. Then he didn't see him for many years. And now here he is, same person, much older, with a shaved head and with saffron robes as a sannyasi, standing in the back of the temple and praying, same way. And finally this pujari asked him about himself. And Srila Prabhupada said, I, my guru has given me an instruction that is impossible to take the message of Lord Chaitanya all over the world. No one has ever succeeded. And I've been praying for the strength and the power to fulfill that instruction. And in a few days, I'm going on a cargo ship to New York. On Friday, the 13th of August, 1965, 50 years ago from this year, with four other people who saw him off, his son and three associates, I think most of them worked for the steamship company. They saw him on the boat, and his son, Vrindavan Chandra, came on the boat with him, and then bowed down to his father. I was just with Brindavan Chandra a few days ago in Calcutta on the very day. And he said, when the boat started moving, his son, seeing his father so elderly, with no resources, going on a 38-day voyage on a cargo ship. He said he was weeping and weeping and weeping incessantly. But he said he was so proud of his father. And the ship departed. Today is August 22nd. Exactly 50 years ago today. Gopinath Chandra Prabhu brought me the diary. <clears throat> On Friday the 20th was Janmashtami that year. 
Srila Prabhupada, 50 years ago he celebrated. And yesterday was Srila Prabhupada's Vyas Puja Day. 50th anniversary of when Srila Prabhupada celebrated his Vyas Puja on the cargo ship. And there was no one doing Guru Pujas for him. <laughs> he was totally alone. And today his boat went into the Cochin dockyards. And it seems like today is the 50th anniversary. Are you ready for this? Of when the crates of Srimad Bhagavatams were brought onto the Jaladutta. It's the 50th anniversary of when Krishna, in the form of Srimad Bhagavatam, because the Bhagavatam says that, that after Krishna left this world and Kali Yuga began, Krishna incarnates in the Srimad Bhagavatam to give light in the darkness of this age. So Krishna boarded the Jaladutta today <laughs> to go to the West. Srimad Bhagavatam had never gone to the West before, along with Srila Prabhupada. And it was on the 25th just three days from now when Srila Prabhupada actually he was already getting seasick even before but on the 25th which day is that? 25th? on Tuesday that's when the 50th anniversary of when Srila Prabhupada had his first heart attack in the middle of the Arabian Sea. And he had another heart attack after that. And he was so ill that until the 31st of August, he could not write anything but a line in his diary. The Jaladutta took him across the Arabian Sea and then into the Middle East, Suez Canal, ultimately to Gibraltar, and then the Jaladutta came to the Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean is infamous for being the roughest, most difficult sea on earth. Except maybe the Arctic Ocean, but people don't go there. And how would Srila Prabhupada survive? But Srila Prabhupada wrote when he was having his heart attacks, Krishna appeared to him in a dream. Krishna and his various incarnations appeared to Prabhupada in a dream and they were rowing the Jaladutta. 
they had a boat and they were pulling the Jaladuta with it and Krishna looked at Prabhupada and Prabhupada could understand that Krishna was telling him I will protect you and that was the most peaceful smooth trip over the Atlantic Ocean that that the captain had ever been on but still was difficult 38 days passed on the 36th day Srila Prabhupada arrived in Boston and wrote his beautiful prayer Marakine Bhagavat Dharma when he was in the Atlantic he wrote a beautiful message in his diary it's something so special he discusses how He was feeling such deep separation from Vrindavan and his beloved deities Radha Govinda, Radha Gopinath and Radha Damodar. Today the ship is plying very smoothly. I feel today better but I am feeling separation of Sri Vrindavan and my lords Sri Govinda Gopinath and Radha Damodar. The only solace is Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita in which I am tasting the nectarine of Lord Chaitanya's Leela. I have left Bharat Bhumi just to execute the order of Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati in pursuance of Lord Chaitanya's order. I have no qualification, but I have taken up the risk just to carry out the order of his divine grace. I depend fully on their mercy, so far away from Vrindavan. In the Boston Harbor, Srila Prabhupada wrote a prayer to Krishna where he is expressing, why have you brought me here to a place nobody knows you, Krishna? (laughs) And people are so much under the modes of passion and ignorance. And I'm so unqualified. How will they only if only if you deliver them will they understand your message and be happy. I am your puppet. Let me dance as you wish for me to dance. I have no devotion, I have no knowledge, but you have given me the name Bhaktivedanta but I have great faith in your holy names, Krishna. 
Now it is for you to fulfill the purport of the name Bhaktivedanta. That was Srila Prabhupada's mood. On the 38th day, he arrived in New York. He said when he came down from the ship, he didn't know whether he should turn right or left. He didn't know if anyone would be there for him. But he knew the books were there on the ship. Srimad Bhagavatam. And he had the holy name of Krishna. And he had the blessings of his guru. So he felt confident. A stranger was waiting for him and brought him to the Skindia Steam and Navigation Company for Srila Prabhupada to get the person's contact details for making his journey back. It's interesting, when Srila Prabhupada went to immigration in Boston, where he arrived in America, they asked him, how long would you like a visa for? He had one month of sponsorship. That means Gopal Agarwal promised that he would meet the expenses that Prabhupada required for one month, but after that, no. So Srila Prabhupada really decided to try to stretch it. He said, give me two-month visa. And he was given a two-month visa. He went to Butler, Pennsylvania. There he carefully studied Sally Agarwal, an American Christian lady who happened to be Gopal's wife. And Sally Agarwal said it was really a disruption to Butler, Pennsylvania to have a Swami there. She said as far as she knew, Gopal was the only Indian in the whole state of Pennsylvania in America in those days. <laughs> and people didn't even know what he was. What to, and he was dressed like everyone else. Prabhupada had white pointy shoes and he had a shaved head and he was dressed as a sannyasi with tilak beat bag and he would walk every day about almost a mile from the YMCA hotel to Sally Agarwal's house to cook but Srila Prabhupada was studying and after 20 days he went to New York from Bombay Bombay was a very important part of Prabhupada's mission he got his ticket on the Jaladuta in Bombay he had a friend who worked at a publishing house here and that friend Prabhupada asked he was asking people do you know anybody in America and he didn't get a single name of anyone but this one person he said I know someone didn't know him well and he said I'll write a letter of introduction for you to this person his name was Dr. Ram Murti Mishra he was a medical doctor that became some, uh, a teacher of yoga and he was also actually a sannyasi so Prabhupada he 
This person didn't contact Dr. Misha. He just wrote Prabhupada a letter and said, you can give this to him if you meet him. So Prabhupada contacted him. And he was given a little room to stay. And after some time, Dr. Mishra went to Europe and couldn't really sustain Prabhupada. So Prabhupada was just staying in a tiny little room with no windows, no toilet, no plumbing of any sort, no ventilation. Tiny room. Somebody gave him a typewriter, so he was not an electric typewriter, a manual typewriter. And he was right, he was translating Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, writing articles. And gradually he was meeting people. And it's an incredible story. There are many biographies telling these stories written by different devotees. His Holiness Satsarup Goswami wrote Prabhupada Lilamrita and various other devotees told their memories. But anyone Srila Prabhupada was meeting that took any interest, Prabhupada was so excited. He was seeing opportunities even where nobody else could perceive it. A boy named Robert. He had no job. He had practically no friends. <laughs> he was socially kind of very dysfunctional. But he liked Prabhupada. So Prabhupada would spend hours and hours and hours instructing him on Krishna consciousness. Even though Prabhupada knew he couldn't be of any help. But still, Prabhupada just saw something special in him. And later on, he met another person, I believe David, and David invited him, come and live with me. He lived in a loft in the Bowery, which was in that time a very, very dangerous ghetto in New York City. And Prabhupada, it was just one room. A loft is just one room. And all, you know, the, the toilet, the kitchen, the bedroom, the living room, it's all just one room. You just kind of arrange it whatever way you want. <laughs> Prabhupada lived there. But the person was a drug addict. He was going crazy on LSD. And one day he was so crazy, he was actually endangering Srila Prabhupada's life. So some other well-wishers that were coming there for Prabhupada's lectures he said, come to my house. This place is not safe. His name was Carl. Because Prabhupada had nowhere else to go. He had no money, he had nothing. And every two months he was going to the immigration and somehow or other convincing them to give another two-month extension. And somebody gave him a tape recorder once. And Prabhupada recorded chanting Hare Krishna. And he would play the chanting. Sometimes he'd be invited to somebody's house and he would just play the chanting. 
and in his diary, in one place, he says, they listened. There were five, five people came, and they seemed to like the chanting. Surely, Haridas Thakur's prediction will be fulfilled, that the holy name will be spread. Srila Prabhupada saw every situation as an opportunity. But then Carl was living there with his unmarried girlfriend, and they had cats and dogs, and they weren't following any regulative principles, and they're living in the same room with Prabhupada. So they felt guilty about doing anything. But they did it anyway. <laughs> and Prabhupada really felt guilt. He didn't feel guilty, but he felt sad that, you know, he was, he was so sensitive. He never, he never corrected them. He, he was gracious. But they knew what he believed because they heard his classes. <laughs> <laughs> so then Michael Grant and I think his sister was Joan, they, Janaki and Mukunda Maharaj. They said, we want to find you a place. And they went to real estate agents and various people. And finally, they found a little storefront in a really run-down old place in what's called the Lower East Side of New York. The rent was $125 a month. And he also had a room behind it for $71 a month, which was really cheap even in those days. And somehow or other, all the well-wishers put in together for that one month. But they said, Swamiji, we can't go beyond this. And Prabhupada moved in. That was around June of 1966. He had already been about from September of 65 till June, just living in ghettos. His typewriter got stolen, his tape recorder got stolen, his life was threatened. Sumati Murarji was just writing, saying, just come back. He wrote to his godbrothers, please help, send, send some brahmacharis. Let's start a temple for our guru. They said, we cannot help you. But he continued on. And His Grace Brahmananda Prabhu, who just passed away recently in Vrindavan, was one of Srila Prabhupada's first followers and disciples. And he, he tells such beautiful memories. He had an incredible devotion to Srila Prabhupada. And Srila Prabhupada had so much trust in him. Srila Prabhupada made him the president of 26 Second Avenue. He was the first president of an Iskand temple. And Gargamuni says when he first met Prabhupada, I mean, I'm sorry, Brahmananda Prabhu, Brahmananda Prabhu said when he first met Prabhupada, toward the beginning, he went up to Srila Prabhupada's room 
and he just knocked on the door just went to his room Srila Prabhupada answered and he said I would like to talk with you Prabhupada said come in and that little room behind 26 Second Avenue there was no furniture Prabhupada just sat on the floor there was a little metal trunk that Prabhupada used as a desk and he had a little manual typewriter he was typing and they talked and his Prabhupada said what is your name he said my name is Bruce and Srila Prabhupada said oh when I was young in India there was a British lord his name was Lord Bruce <laughs> so they made a connection <laughs> Prabhupada really made people feel nice and, and somehow or other Bruce just met him and he said I want to be your student and Srila Prabhupada asked him tell me about your life and Bruce was he was actually a teacher he had just gotten his degree in teaching special education to teach you know language to handicapped children in the ghettos and Bruce said he just got a job and he was supposed to start his job tomorrow but he said now that I've met you I just want to live live with you and be your student and Srila Prabhupada told him the teachings of Bhagavad Gita right then and he said everything belongs to Krishna you can work your job but just give the fruits of your actions in the service of Krishna so start your job tomorrow and learn to do it as a devotee so that was the first instruction he got from Srila Prabhupada to work a job (laughs) for Krishna so he went and got that job and he became and um after some time his brother he started coming later he became Gargamuni I think his name is Greg or something like that he started coming and there was just about a, about ten people who were coming to the storefront and they would bow down to Prabhupada but Brahmananda Prabhu's brother Gargamuni Prabhu he, he would not bow down. He just didn't think it was right to bow down to someone. So everybody would bow down, but he would not bow down. So one day, during questions and answers after Prabhupada's talk, he said, everybody's bowing down, but I don't feel like bowing down. That's why I don't bow down. And Prabhupada said to him, just bow down, and by bowing down, gradually you'll feel like it. (laughs) 
But he didn't say this until Gargamuni asked him what he should do. Until then, Prabhupada just allowed it, whatever. But when he asked him, he, and after bowing down a few times, he felt like it, and he loved it. He was always bowing down. <laughs> and then Brahmananda and Gargamuni, they're brothers. They're the only children. They go to visit their mother. And the mother, you know, they, she's cooking for them. And they said, no, no, we cannot eat because you have contaminated pots. <laughs> it's, it's a contaminated house and everything's contaminated. And she said, what's happened to you? <laughs> so she, wa- she wanted to figure out what's happened to my two children, my only sons. So she went to see Prabhupada in that little room with, there was no furniture. And she never sat on the floor in her life. So Prabhupada had one old metal folding chair that he would use for people like this. <laughs> so he offered her the chair and he sat on the floor. And she said to him, what have you done to my sons? And Prabhupada said, I'm taking really good care of your sons. <laughs> he said, I'm feeding them really nutritious food, and I'm, giving, I'm, teach, I'm teaching them very high standards of hygiene and devotion. And he was just telling how, how he was really taking care of her sons. And she said, well, well where do you get your money from? And Prabhupada said, I don't have any money. <laughs> he said, if you like, he said to their mother, he said, if you like, you could give a donation. <laughs> and she was quite shocked. <laughs> she looked at Prabhupada and from her heart, with great feeling from her heart, she said, I've already donated my sons. <laughs> and that was very special because Srila Prabhupada made her act by Prabhupada's presence by the way he appreciated them and appreciated her so much and he was so affectionate to her and so respectful to her. It wasn't any longer that you've taken away my sons. From her heart of hearts, she was actually feeling, I have donated my sons. (laughs) And now she was feeling good about it. And a few days later, they were going to get initiated. And their mother came for the initiation ceremony. And she was sitting on that same <laughs> metal folding chair. <laughs> that was the only one they had. And this is the second initiation ceremony in Iskand's history, I believe. And both her sons were getting initiated. And Prabhupada told them, told Brahmananda Prabhu, 
before he came up to take his beads and everything, bow down to your mother. So that made her feel really strange. I think that's the first time in the history of the United States of America. that a son has ever bowed down to his mother. (laughs) And this was in the 1960s. This is 1966, the peak of the counterculture, where there there was a total war between the young generation and the older generation. And he bowed down to his mother. And she didn't know what to do. (laughs) and Prabhupada told Brahmananda you should always bow down to your mother so he took that instruction very seriously and he tells a story one time he went to Connecticut the state close to New York to visit his mother and his family and he rang the doorbell and she came to open the door and she looked around And there was no one there. She was wondering, there's no one here who rang the doorbell. And then she heard this voice going, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya. <laughs> and she looked down and there was her son, Bruce, who was now Brahmananda Prabhu. So Srila Prabhupada stayed and Brahmananda Prabhu explains how Srila Prabhupada did everything. He was so gracious. He never told anyone to do anything. Prabhupada led every single kirtan. Srila Prabhupada gave every single class. Srila Prabhupada did all the cooking, all the cleaning. He did everything. It wasn't until somebody volunteered when they would ask, could I help clean? He'd say, yes, here, this is how you do it. One day, um, one of the devotees came to Prabhupada this is after they're with him for weeks and weeks and weeks and he's cooking he's cooking all the meals for them himself there's like about 10 of them 12 of them they're teenage or t- maybe early 20s and he's in his 70s and one person said could I help you cook and Srila Prabhupada said I've been waiting for someone to ask that question <laughs> And he taught taught him how to cook. So in this way, Srila Prabhupada was just, even though, you know, when they all first started coming, they were very much taking drugs, marijuana, LSD, some stronger drugs. Many were drinking alcohol. Many were having boyfriends and girlfriends and 
Many of them were eating meat. But Prabhupada would just get them to chant Hare Krishna, get them to come to his classes, and gradually he would teach them and they would give these things up. And when Srila Prabhupada, Mukunda Maharaj, and Janaki Devi, they invited Prabhupada to go to San Francisco. Mukunda Maharaj actually went to San Francisco and met his old friend Shamsundar, who was Sam at the time, his girlfriend Malati, and then Jamuna Devi, and, and um, Guru Das Prabhu, and a couple others. They started a little storefront together in San Francisco and invited Prabhupada. Now they started 22nd Avenue around June or July of 1966 and Srila Prabhupada left New York to go to San Francisco in January of 1967. So that means the oldest devotees there were only devotees about four or five months at the most. Because Mukunda Maharaj was the senior most and he went to San Francisco. And Brahmananda explains, after Prabhupada left, they didn't know what to do. No one had ever led a kirtan. No one had ever played an instrument. No one had ever given a class. So they were looking at each other, who's going to give the class? (laughs) And who's going to play the cymbal? Because Prabhupada always played either the cymbals or the little drum that he had. Who's going to play? There was no murdangas in those days, I don't think. So they encourage each other. They, you know, you, you give class. <laughs> <laughs> what should I say? So just whatever you heard Swamiji say, because that was his name in those days. Whatever you heard Swamiji say, just say it. Oh, you know, they were reminding each other what Swamiji said. And you lead kirtan. Me lead kirtan? Yeah, yes. And I've never led a kirtan. So this is how the Hare Krishna movement began. And Prabhupada didn't tell them, you give class, you give kirtan. He just left. <laughs> According to Brahmananda Prabhu's memories, and they just understood, we have to do this for Swamiji. He, he wants this movement to spread all over the world. Every one of those people practically became one of the most, became historically empowered preachers that spread this movement all over the world. And that's how they started. Just in a little storefront. They were only devotees for three, four months, maybe five at the absolute most. And they just helped each other give classes or kirtans. Then Srila Prabhupada came back. He was having a lot of trouble with his visas. And in 1967, he came back and he had a stroke. He had a stroke and he was paralyzed. And so, Brahmananda Prabhu because Prabhupada didn't want to go to a hospital. 
and it was Memorial Day, which is a it's a nationwide holiday. So practically no doctors work on that day. So they tried to get doctors, and finally they got one Jewish doctor to come. And he came to the storefront, and this person couldn't believe what he was seeing, because no one had shaved head in those days, and no one had robes. They were just like these guys with long hair and blue jeans and bare feet. (laughs) And there was no furniture. It was just an empty room. He was wondering, what is this? He said, we all live here. And then he went to Prabhupada, and he was talking to Prabhupada, and the devotees were kind of listening. And the doctor said to Prabhupada, you pray too much. You need exercise. You should take walks. And everybody thought he was really offensive telling Prabhupada what to do. <laughs> they were thinking, this is mundane, you know. <laughs> thinking Prabhupada's an ordinary person. But Prabhupada took him very seriously. And eventually Prabhupada had to go to the hospital. And he was there for a short time. And, then and he had a stroke. He was paralyzed. So that Prabhupada so Brahmananda, take me out of here. And Brahmananda said to the doctors, my guru wants to leave. And they said, no, it's against the law. He cannot leave. He will die. And Brahmananda said to Prabhu, said to Prabhupada, no, they won't let you leave. And Prabhupada said, take me out of here. So they got a wheelchair and put Prabhupada in the wheelchair and just started taking him. <laughs> And the doctors and the nurses were screaming, you can't do this, you're going to kill him, bring him back. And, and Prabhupada said, go, go. And <laughs> they took him out back to 22nd Avenue. And now, because it was a manual typewriter, and Prabhupada, because he was semi-paralyzed, he couldn't type. And that was, he spent so many hours a day writing commentaries. So Gargamuni went around New York and went, found in a shop a dictaphone. Prabhupada didn't ask for it. But because he couldn't type anymore, they were thinking, how could he do? So they found this German made dictaphone. And they actually somehow or other got some money, I don't know how, and they bought the dictaphone. But then, you know, in, it's, it's, this is 1967. The dictaphones were not like anything today. They were very mechanical. So it took over an hour for the salesman at the store to teach Gargamuni how to use it. And he was thinking, now I get to teach Prabhupada how to use it. <laughs> so he brought the dictaphone into Prabhupada. He said, Prabhupada, you can't type, but you can translate by just talking into this dictaphone, and then we'll transcribe it. And Prabhupada said, oh, yes, very good. This is very nice. And Gargamuni said, I'll teach you how to 
use it. And Prabhupada said, no, no, just leave it here. <laughs> Prabhupada figured it out himself. And, and Brahmananda Prabhu was telling how Prabhupada was so many tape after, they were cassette tapes. Do you remember cassette tapes? They, they go like... <laughs> tape after tape every day he was just translating and making purports and none of the devotees you know they would get the tape and then they had to get another little tape recorder to listen to it and then they would and they didn't know how to transcribe because you have to know how to do that and between all of them they were really it was hard to understand what Prabhupada was saying and they were trying to do and, and they were trying to get other people to do it and it was really a challenge and meanwhile tape after tape after tape after tape was coming and they could hardly do a, it would take them hours to do a few lines and they were wondering what are we going to do and then one day a boy named Neil just comes into 26 Second Avenue and he said, I'm from Antioch College. I know Antioch College because I, oftentimes I, back in the 80s, I used to give lectures there. It's in Ohio, which is a long way from New York City. But it was a very progressive college in the 1960s. They would let you get a job, and if you got a job doing what your subject was, they would give you credits, full credits for being in college, for working a job, if your job is the same as what you're studying. So, so he said, I'm really, I I'm really would like to stay here and learn about Krishna with all of you. And, and, and he said, my study is in transcribing. If you have any transcribing work, because I'm a professional transcriber, then I could stay here and do that full time without any pay, and and I'll get my full college credits. So they were thinking, Krishna sent him. <laughs> So every tape, he was just as fast as Prabhupada could make tapes, he could transcribe them. And he stayed a whole semester, and all the backlog of tapes and all the other tapes, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, he transcribed all of them. And then the college semester ended, and he left, and they never saw him again. So Krishna was just there to challenge the devotees and then somehow or other, you know, bring everything together. And Brahmananda Prabhu explains that one day, when I think it was when Prabhupada was, I don't remember if he was in New York or in San Francisco, it was in the summer. And it was re. Prabhupada, before he went to San Francisco, every Sunday he would take them to the park to chant. And this was really scary for them. 
Because it's one thing chanting with the Swami inside the storefront, but to go outside where everyone sees you <laughs> in New York City, because it's never been done before in the history of New York City or America. Prabhupada said, no, no, you come. We will go to Washington Square Park. <laughs> it's a very big park. Not a big park, but it's a very famous park. There's been movies about it and everything. So they're walking, and all these long-haired, blue-jean kind of people, you know, devotees, <laughs> they're all following Prabhupada. And, and people are already looking at them like, what are these people doing? <laughs> Devotees are already nervous. And then they get to Washington Square Park. It's a beautiful park with statue and fountain and lawns. And Prabhupada, there's a sign that says, do not sit on the grass. <laughs> but there were so many people sitting on the grass. <laughs> Mostly boys and girls, you know what happens when they sit on the grass. <laughs> so, so Prabhupada sits on the grass and all the devotees are sitting on the grass with him and he's playing a little bongo drum or cartels and he's singing and they're all singing and they were like, Prabhupada's very, just completely confident singing the Maha Mantra and all the devotees are really timid and scared. What are people going to say? But then they started chanting but being with Prabhupada, they got so fearless. Soon they were all really enthusiastically chanting. And some people kind of stopped and looked like, what's this? <laughs> and then some policemen come. And they're very official. And they say to, to Prabhupada, can't you read? It's like he's just looking up at them, real humble. And, <laughs> and they point to the sign, do not, do not be on grass. And Prabhupada looked behind him and saw it. And he said, get out. The policeman said, get off the grass. So Prabhupada very respectfully got up and went on the pavement and sat down and started chanting. <laughs> And all the devotees started going on the pavement and chanting. And Prabhupada considered that such a great victory. The first public Harinam Sankirtan in the history of America. And all when by the time the devotees came back to 26 Second Avenue, they felt that they conquered the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then every Sunday they would go to either Tompkins Square Park or Washington Square Park and chant. But they would sit, and Prabhupada would have them dance. And even years later, Prabhupada said, of all the devotees in America, he said, Brahmananda was the first to get up and dance. <laughs> One day, it was so hot in the storefront, Prabhupada wasn't there. They just decided, let's go outside. It's just too hot in here because there was no ventilation. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have so many fans. It was really hot. So they went outside and they started walking down the streets and went to the corner. 
and people were kind of taking really interest. And they told Prabhupada. Prabhupada said, oh, that is the first Harinam Sankirtan in the streets of New York. It happened just kind of by accident. <laughs> it's not that they, Prabhupada told them to do it. They just did it. And after they did it, Prabhupada said, you should keep doing that. <laughs> At a certain time, after the Prabhupada had his stroke, they took him, because he wasn't really getting better very much, they took him to a very near the beachfront in New Jersey they took him a place where he could rest and there Srila Prabhupada he started going out to taking a walk every day he heard what the doctor told him and he followed it he said the doctor told me to take morning walk and year after year after year without fail he took that morning walk every day kind of as regular as Goranga Prabhu does his power yoga And Prabhupada would take morning walk because it's not that whole buildings would shake. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Brahmananda Prabhu tells that he would just, no matter if it was summer or whether it was winter, he would go out and take a walk. And even when they were in Switzerland, it was so much snow and so cold. Prabhupada, they were in a big guest house. Prabhupada was walking up and down for an hour in the hallways. But he took that doctor's instruction so seriously, although nobody else, they thought he was crazy and offensive. But Prabhupada understood he cared about me. Krishna speaking through him. Srila Prabhupada He had such faith in the holy name of Krishna. He had so much um, conviction that everyone is an eternal servant of Krishna. Once somebody asked Prabhupada how he started this movement. Thomas Hopkins, one of the great scholars of America, he wrote how unique Srila Prabhupada was in the history of the world. At the age of 70, he came to a foreign country without knowing anyone, without having anything, and was put through trial and challenge after challenge and never gave up. And within a few short years, he had a worldwide movement. We're explaining how he started. 
within a few years he had 108 full temples deities installed and over 4,000 initiated disciples and over 10,000 people following him millions and millions of his books had been published and distributed how was it all happening? Brahmananda tells the story about Prabhupada wanted his Bhagavad Gita published. So there was a man named Allen Ginsberg. He wasn't following any types of regular principles at all. But he was famous. He was famous as a poet. And if you were to read his poetry, you would ask, why did Rajanath Swami ask me to read this? <laughs> because it was 1950s and 60s beat poetry and it wasn't about renunciation. <laughs> not, not as we know it, at least. But he, he had been in India and he loved Kirtan and he was chanting Hare Krishna and he got an invitation to come to 26 Second Avenue and he came and he met Prabhupada and didn't agree with a lot of Prabhupada's teachings but he really loved Prabhupada as a human being and he was extremely famous and he had published many books so how do you agree with Prabhu? he asked Allen Ginsberg and Brahmananda also, can you help Prabhupada get the Bhagavad Gita published? So Allen Ginsberg went to his own publisher and they rejected it. So then he went to another publisher. Allen Ginsberg, he's a famous person. When you have somebody like that promoting your book for you, it's very powerful. He went publisher after publisher for six months and everyone rejected Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. So finally, Allen Ginsberg gave up. There's not, there's, I have no more avenues to explore. Nobody wants to publish this book in America. So Rai Ram was a devotee then and he was in charge of Prabhupada's Back to Godhead. So he went to these different university and academic publishers and every single one of them rejected Prabhupada's book. So there was no other venues to explore for the devotees. They just gave up. But Prabhupada wanted to publish. But Prabhupada did make a record album that somebody helped him of chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. This was in 1966. And somehow or other, that record album got to the Beatles. And George Harrison and John Lennon, George Harrison said he listened to, it was just Prabhupada chanting Hare Krishna and giving an explanation of the mantra. He said he listened to the record so many times the needle actually wore out the record. That's how much he liked it. It wasn't a big selling record, but some people liked it. So one day at 26 Second Avenue, a letter came. Because Brahmananda Prabhu used to get all the mail and help Prabhupada answer mail. 
So one day there was a mail from Macmillan Publishers, which is one of the biggest worldwide publishing houses. And it was from just one single employee asking how he could get one album, one record album. It was just one person wanting a record album, but he worked for Macmillan, and it was in Macmillan letterhead. So Brahmananda said, this, he, he just wants to buy one record. I don't know who this person is, but you know they're a big publisher. So Prabhupada said, ask him to publish my Bhagavad Gita. And Brahmananda said, well, maybe you should, you, you should give... If you give me your manuscript, I'll show it to him. He said, no, don't show him the manuscript. Just ask him to publish the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, if you give an introduction to yourself, he said, no, no, just ask him to publish the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> so he goes to Macmillan. He, he puts on a suit and tie and looks like a very professional person. <laughs> and he walks into Macmillan. He goes to this person's office, and the person's an accountant. He has nothing to do with the editing, the publishing. He has nothing to do with any decision-making. He's just an accountant. <laughs> and Brahmananda gives him the record, and he buys the record. And Brahmananda said, you know, do you have anything to do with decisions of publishing? He said, no. And right at that moment, somebody walks in the door. And... The accountant says, this is the senior editor for Macmillan. And Brahmananda doesn't know what to do, really. He just looks at him and says, um, I have a Bhagavad Gita, and we would like you to publish it. And the person says, yes, I will publish it. <laughs> He said, who's the author? He said, Swamiji, Bhaktivedanta Swami. He said, oh, he's a Swami from India. He lives in New York. Of course I will. I will. He said, do you want to see the manuscript? He said, I'll publish it. Don't worry, just send me the manuscript. <laughs> so he already agreed, everything. Brahmananda was totally in ecstasy. And he, he's really excited to tell Prabhupada after months and months and months of trying to find a publisher being rejected by everyone, the biggest publisher in the world practically, just, he just walked in the door. He said, Swamiji, Macmillan agreed to publish the Bhagavad Gita. And Srila Prabhupada just casually shook his head like, yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> like, like he was expecting it. <laughs> so when Srila Prabhupada was asked, how did you start this movement? He gave a very well-known analogy. He said, just like a business person wants to start a business, but he has nothing. So he's just walking down the road 
and he sees a dried-up pumpkin. So he picks up the pumpkin. And he walks down the road a little longer, and he sees a, a branch of a tree. So he picks up the branch of a tree. And he walks down the road, and he sees an old wire just laying on the ground, and he picks up the wire. So he puts the pumpkin on the branch of the tree, and then he puts a wire across it, and he makes a musical instrument, and he sells it. He said, that's how I started Iskand. He said, in my journey, I just, whatever I could find, whatever Krishna provided, I just put it all together. (laughs) And he saw opportunity everywhere. Can I tell you a little story? Recently, I was in a redwood forest. I think you've heard me talk about redwood trees before. Well, this is a new lesson. (laughs) This just took place about a month ago. California is having a severe drought. Severe drought. I was talking to some very prominent people in California, and they... these people really prize their lawns and their back lawns. No matter who you are, the government doesn't give water for your back lawns except maybe once a week because there's such a shortage of water. And so many crops in California are not growing due to a shortage of water, and it's increasing the price of crops all over the country, certain fruits. So it's a serious drought. So myself and Vaisheshika Prabhu were walking through the Muir Woods. And we come upon a Chinese forest ranger speaking to Americans. And she's telling a story. And I said to Vaisheshika Prabhu, let's stay and listen. He said, yeah, let's listen. So we're listening. And she was talking about how serious the drought is and how so many trees are dying and how many forest fires there are because of a lack of water. And redwood trees are the tallest and largest trees on planet Earth. And they need huge amounts of water. She said, trees, where do they get their water from? The roots. Yes, every tree. It's If you don't water the root of a tree, the tree is going to suffer like anything. That's Bhagavatam philosophy. Krishna is the root of existence. Unless we please Krishna, we can't really please our own souls or anyone's souls. So, trees are nourished by absorbing water in the roots, and it goes to the rest of the tree. And the roots stretch out either from the water that falls in the rain or from creeks and ponds that are close by. But because of the droughts, practically all the creeks are dried up. All the ponds are empty. And there's no rain. But 
but the redwoods are flourishing. Would you like to know how? There's something that nobody likes because it's such an inconvenience and a nuisance, and that's fog. How many of you have been delayed trying to get a plane to Delhi in the wintertime because of fog? When there's heavy fog, flights, no matter how computer technology they have, they can't go. When there's heavy fog, you can't even drive because you can't even see in front of you. Fog is nothing but disturbance to everyone. Yes? But the, in that part of California, there's heavy fog, which, you know, mo- most people just don't like it. <laughs> can't drive, can't fly, can hardly walk. The redwoods, the roots are on the bottom of the tree. They have learned the art from the very top of the tree, the opposite of the roots, from the top of the tree, the needle-like leaves absorb the fog and the, the moisture from the fog goes through the whole tree. They're actually absorbed, not by the roots, but by the leaves at the top of the tree. And she said that just from the Fog, each tree gets three to four hundred gallons of water per day. That's how much a redwood tree needs. Hare Krishna. So what's the message of that story? To see the opportunity to adjust to the circumstances to see the opportunity to grow. Every other tree is dying in the fog because nothing's getting on the roots. The redwoods have the same roots, but they've learned to take to see the potential of their nourishment in the inconvenience of fog from the opposite side of the tree, the top. So to see opportunity, to adjust our situation in such a way to take that opportunity, to never give up, that's true success. So Thomas Hopkins was saying that Srila Prabhupada, every challenge but he saw opportunity everywhere. He said the only other person in history we could think of that can be compared to this is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was preaching to his own people, the people that he was born and raised in the same towns and villages with who understood exactly what he was talking about. He was basically teaching the same religion, too. Prabhupada was in a totally foreign country, with no place, and he was teaching something completely 
nobody ever heard before. And yet, today, by that humble beginning, there's thousands of centers, hundreds of temples. Bhagavad Gita alone has sold over 40 million copies. After Prabhupada's typewriter was stolen and after it was rejected for, for six months. Brahmananda Prabhu explains that he was with Srila Prabhupada in Prabhupada's last days in Vrindavan. Srila Prabhupada was emaciated. He was going to leave the world at any time. His, his, there was nothing left of his physical health. And during that time, Brahmananda Prabhu got a fever. And he stayed in his room for a couple days. And when he came to see Prabhupada, Prabhupada heard he was sick. And he was showing such concern, asking about his welfare, asking about his health. And Brahmananda Prabhu was thinking, I'm young, I'm strong. I had a little sickness that I would definitely get well from. It was just a little thing. And he's laying there with his health absolutely deteriorated physically. And yet he's so concerned and caring about my health and making sure I'm getting the proper diet and the proper food and the proper medicine and the proper rest. He said, this is Srila Prabhupada. He said, when Srila Prabhupada found us, he loved us, even though we were not lovable at all. We had so many defects. We had so many bad habits. We had such polluted character. There was, Brahmananda said there was nothing to love about us for somebody like him. But he loved us. And he cared about us. And he sacrificed his life for us. Why? Because he saw in our hearts something that we couldn't see. That we were eternal servants of Krishna. He saw that Krishna loved us. And that love for Krishna was within our hearts. That's what he saw in us. And then he said, and Prabhupada saw that his Guru Maharaj that he sent all of us to him to help. And Brahmananda Prabhu, who was with Prabhupada from 1966, serving faithfully up until just a couple months ago when he left this world, he said, it was that quality in Prabhupada that is the basis of the Hare Krishna movement. Thank you very much.
हरिओ सो लेट एस एक्सप्रेस अवर ग्रेटिट्यूड टू हिज होलनेस राधानाथ महाराज फॉर टेकिंग एस थ्रू द फिफ्टी इयर्स ऑफ जर्नी ऑफ श्री प्रभुपाद इस्कॉन हरिबो Now may I request His Grace Baldev Prabhu to make announcements for today. Hare Krishna. We would like to welcome wonderful guest today. It's a big line from right from here up till Garudji. We are on 30 wonderful guests with us today. Let us welcome, uh, let us welcome all these wonderful guests today for our program. We are loudly chanting three times. Also, we have uh, very uh, new comers today. There are some students who come for the very first time for Prerna Festival. So, I would like to now uh, request all the first-time comers, new comers, to kindly stand up on the uh, near the seats so we can properly welcome you. जो पहली बार आ जाए हैं, खड़े हो जाइए.